The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome, I'm Pastor Chris. Great to be back today. Hey, guess what starts this week? School! Woo! All the parents are, yes! Thank you, Jesus! And the kids are crying, and they're all upset, and you're, wait, you're ready for that traffic, aren't you? You're all excited about traffic next week, and then, of course, the uh, solar eclipse and all that. It's going to be crazy here in Charleston uh, for a little bit, as always. A lot of fun, though. Um, so school starts, and you're ready for some football. You're ready for some football? Man, I know I am. Every year, I have hope that Clemson's going to win the national championship. I believe that every year. Last year, it finally happened, so that was exciting. Um, but hey, speaking of football, not college football, but professional football, uh, I don't probably for like five, six years or so, maybe even longer, uh, we've had kind of a fantasy football uh, 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 league here at Coastal. We've decided to widen the net a little bit, kind of open it up to anybody and everybody. And uh, so if you're interested in, uh, in being a part of the Fantasy Football League, there, there's a little uh, note there in your bulletin, and uh, you can sign up today on your Connect card. And uh, it's a PPR league, if that means anything to you. Uh, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Don't join. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of smack talk from week to week. There is a trophy involved at the end of the year that we We've been passing around. There's a banquet. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, you can sign up today. Uh, hey, one other thing that I kind of want to let you know about on the Keep On Your Radar is uh, September 17th. And uh, it's a big day here at Coastal. Throughout the year, strategically, we place what we call big days. Now, Every Sunday is a big day here at Coastal, and uh, we, we create our services in such a way that we encourage you week in and week out to bring people with you, uh, to invite and bring a friend, and uh, uh, we believe this is a, a great place for people to hear the good news of the gospel. But um, several times throughout the year, we say, hey, pull out all the stops and get somebody to Coastal. And uh, we kick off a new series on September the 17th uh, called After God's Own Heart, and uh, we're going to be doing a study of the life of David. And uh, David's probably one of the most recognized characters uh, in the Bible. So the good news is a lot of your friends know something about him. Uh, but each week we're going to be talking about uh, why, why David was called a man after God's own heart. And how can you and I become more and more after the heart of God. And uh, it's going to be a great series, so don't miss that. But on that day, the 17th, uh, we're going to have our annual uh, tailgating uh, kind of competition outside. And so we really need like... Uh, probably about 12 to 15 people at least uh, to volunteer to be a part of that tailgating competition. Uh, you can wear your team colors. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, it'll be outside. Uh, I, I don't think there's actually a blank on your Connect card today, but on the very bottom, of, like the prayer request section, you could just write the word tailgating, and we'll go ahead and get you signed up. But what's going to happen is, so between, you know, after both services outside, all the different tents and food and uh, a lot of fun, we'll vote on, you you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but right in the center, uh, we're going to have an outdoor baptism service. Uh, after both services outside, kind of in the center of all the, uh, all the fun. And uh, it's going to be great. So if you're interested in both getting baptized, sign up for that. Uh, if you'd like to participate in tailgating, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. It's going to be a great day, September the 17th. Go ahead and start praying and thinking about who you're going to invite and bring to church that day. Well, today we are in uh, week four of summer reading. 
Uh, and I hope that you've uh, enjoyed this series as much as I have. Hope you enjoyed uh, Galen and Ryan preaching the last couple, or, or Scott uh, preaching the last couple of weeks. Ryan's going to be preaching uh, September the 3rd, uh, Labor Day. By the way, we only have one service on Labor Day, uh, the 930 service, so don't miss that. Um, but raise your hand if you have started reading any of the books that we've uh, uh, been doing this summer. Okay, great, great. The rest of you, shame on you. No, I'm just teasing. Um, uh, remember, uh, leaders are what? Leaders are readers. You're like, I don't care about scriptures. I don't want, I don't want to be a leader, you know? Um, but uh, I hope you're enjoying the books. And uh, today's book that I'm highlighting uh, is a great book. I love this book. Uh, it's called Accidental Pharisee uh, by Pastor Larry Osborne. I, I really do hope you'll read it. I, I want to read a small portion of the book to you this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about this. Um, uh, Pastor uh, Osborne writes, 2,000 years ago, some of God's most zealous followers found themselves in a place they never could have imagined. Despite their rigorous study of Scripture and scrupulous obedience to everything they found in it, they had become the enemies of God. Worse, they were oblivious to what had happened. They actually thought they were his best friends. I have no doubt that the Pharisees of old had the best of intentions. They wanted to please God and show others how to please him. I'm sure they thought that their labyrinth of extra rules and spiritual disciplines provided a helpful template for people to follow. And I'm also sure that they considered all their rules and standards to be solidly biblical. After all, even though none of them were actually found in Scripture, they were all based in Scripture. Now listen to this. They eagerly took it upon themselves to determine who was in and who was out. They thought they were helping God by thinning the herd and keeping the riffraff out. Unfortunately, they had no idea that the people they shooed away were precisely the people that God wanted to invite to the party. Sadly, the same thing happens today. Well-intentioned followers of Jesus, like you and me, can unintentionally hurt the work of God, the God that we claim to serve, when we become so focused on what we see as the agenda of God and we lose touch with the heart of God. And that's what I want us to talk about today. How many of you remember uh, dissecting an animal in biology class in high school? Remember doing that? That was like my favorite, you know, couple of weeks in, uh, in biology. Uh, maybe it was a fetal pig, remember that? Uh, or maybe you did a snake or a frog. My favorite, no lie, we did this, a cat. <laughs> a cat. I even brought some in. It was great. No, I'm just teasing. I did, I mean, I didn't bring any in, but we did dissect the cat. Um, they probably don't do that anymore. But, um, you know, at some point in the class, do you remember uh, passing around uh, the organs or even the animals themselves preserved in jars of what? What was it called? Formaldehyde. Beautiful smell, right? You remember that. Uh, formaldehyde. Now, biologists use formaldehyde because they can put a lifeless organism in it, and it keeps it looking alive for many years, even though the animal, the organism itself, is dead. Now, sadly, that is a great description of many churches today and some people who call themselves Christians. Outwardly, they have religion. 
but inwardly they have no personal relationship. Outwardly they appear alive, but inwardly they're actually dead. Well, Jesus addressed a group of people who fit that exact same description. They appeared to everybody else like they were alive, but it was nothing more than you could call it a faith in formaldehyde. His audience was some hyper-religious people called Pharisees. And uh, they practiced their religion so strictly that they made life miserable for everybody else around them. Ever known any Christians like that? Yeah. You know, the truth is, it is possible for any one of us to fall into the trap of being a Pharisee. Or as Larry Osborne calls it, an accidental Pharisee. And so today, I want us to talk about that. I want us to look at uh, some signs from Luke chapter 11, a chapter in which Jesus was actually addressing this very issue and talking to a group of Pharisees. I want us to talk about some signs that you might just be an accidental Pharisee. Anybody remember uh, the comedian, actor, Jeff Foxworthy? Remember him? Uh, He became famous with his routine, what? You might be a... You might be a redneck if. You know, you might be a redneck if you think loading the dishwasher means getting your wife drunk. Um, You might be a redneck if you ever cut the grass and you find a car. Uh, You might be a redneck if your wife has ever said, come move this transmission so I can take a bath. Um, You might be a redneck if you view the next family reunion as your chance to meet chicks. Um, well, you might just be an accidental Pharisee if any of these are true of you. Number one, you might be an accidental Pharisee if outward appearance is more important than inner purity. If outward appearance has become more important than inner purity. Look at verses 37 and 39 of Luke 11. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. And then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but on the inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. Now, Jesus was not teaching that you don't have to wash your hands before you eat, okay? This Jewish practice of washing hands that you see here in this passage actually had very little, if anything at all, to do with cleanliness. Uh, It was all about ceremony. The Pharisees went through this very elaborate washing ritual before every meal to show how holy and religious they were. And so when Jesus refused to observe this religious practice, his host, a Pharisee, was shocked. And so Jesus accused the Pharisee of being so obsessed with outward appearances that he ignored his heart, inner purity. And he compared him to, you know, a cup 
that you clean the outside of it. It looks really pretty and shiny and clean, but on the inside, it's rotten. It's filthy. It stinks. It's corrupt on the inside. Well, that's one sign of religion. That somehow you feel like you're better than other people. And it becomes all about, you know, appearances. And you start looking down on other people. And you forget that you too are a sinner saved by grace. You know, in Isaiah chapter 65, there's this interesting passage where um, God becomes irritated uh, with this holier-than-thou attitude. And uh, so much so that he compares it to a smoke that gets up in your nose and just burns all day. And he's saying that's how God feels when we start acting like it's okay to try to clean yourself up on the outside and not be concerned with your heart. In fact, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says this, and this, by the way, is going to be one of the, the theme passages for our study of the life of David. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, the Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Now, man, you and I, we look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? On the heart. That's powerful. Let me ask you, are you more concerned about your outward appearance or your character? You know, before most of us came to church today, you probably uh, took a shower, uh, washed your hair or your head, um, you know, and uh, slipped in some clean clothes, right? Why? Well, you, you wanted to look good. But for whom? Now, let, let me say, first of all, thank you for looking good. Okay, I appreciate that because man does look at the outward appearance and I've got to stand up here and stare at you for a little bit. And uh, so I appreciate that, you know, that you, uh, it's a lot easier on me when you look good and when you smell good. And so thank you so much for taking a bath. By the way, I was at the gym this past week and I was on a treadmill and uh, this middle school kid got on the treadmill next to me. Oh my goodness, he stank. I mean like... It just brought back memories of camp and riding a bus with middle school kids. Not that all you middle school kids stink, but this kid had B.O. And the whole time I was going, man, if I were not almost finished with my routine, I would get off and run. But thank you. Thank you. That had nothing to do with my message today. Just take a bath, okay? <laughs> Make sure you take a bath. Um, but let me ask you, um, what's more important to you? You know, you see, God, God doesn't care whether you look good on the outside and you clean up the outside. He's more concerned about your heart. Now, you and I can't see that. We can't see people's hearts. We can't see the changes that, that might be taking place. But God can. And Jesus is saying that it's quite possible that you've come to think that your obedience and your list of do's and don'ts has somehow earned you favor with God or right standing before him. But it doesn't. You know, you've probably heard the old quote, you can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. Listen to me. That is just not true. 
You know what the truth is? You and I really do have the ability to fool everyone all of the time. But you can't fool God. Man looks at the outward appearance. God sees our heart. And so you can dress up and you can clean up the outside all you want, but if you don't clean your heart and you have a holier-than-thou attitude, it is nothing more than a stench in the nose of God. Number two, you might be an accidental Pharisee if rituals have become more important than a relationship with God. If rituals are more important than a relationship. Verse 42 of Luke 11. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Now get this. The Pharisees were so conscientious in their observance of tithing that they didn't just tithe their money. They even tithed the herbs that grew in their gardens. But they didn't practice justice. They didn't demonstrate God's love. You know, it's so easy to get wrapped up in doing the religious acts that we forget the reason behind doing it. Don't you see? Even your offering, even tithing, can become a meaningless ritual if you give it without a heart of joy, without gratitude. For others, you know, uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer or some memorized prayer that you have, uh, that you mumble before you eat, that can become a ritual, a, a meaningless ritual. Even communion, even something as, as, as wonderful and, and special and sacred as that can easily become an empty ritual. You know, if you don't personally know the man behind the meal, if you think that, you know, somehow in your participating in the Lord's Supper, that that somehow makes you right before God, man, you're just eating juice and crackers. You know, it's just snack time for you. Baptism can become a meaningless ritual. You know, if you're just getting baptized because, you know, everybody else is doing it, or you, or you think that somehow baptism in and of itself saves you, man, you're just getting wet. Now, we like rituals because they make us feel good about ourselves, and, and sometimes, sadly, we even use them to judge other people. And when we do, we become a Pharisee. Now listen, don't misunderstand my point today and don't misunderstand Jesus' point. Nothing is wrong with the ritual itself. Jesus wasn't condemning tithing. He was condemning their heart, their motivation. Think about it. Prayer, communion, tithing, baptism. They're all important. But it's possible to, to do any one of those things for the wrong reasons. It's possible to focus on the, the ritual and forget about the relationship. You see, God wants every area of our life, including our obedience. Again, there's nothing wrong with obedience. That's not what this is about. 
But he's wanting our rituals and our obedience to flow out of a love relationship with him. Number three, you might just be an accidental Pharisee if being seen by others is more important than serving God. Being seen by others is more important than serving God. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. What he's talking about here is that in the synagogue, uh, the front seats were, were reserved for the most respected Pharisees. And they were even facing everyone, facing the congregation. And to be asked to, be, to sit in uh, one of those seats what was an honor. And then out in the marketplace, uh, the most religious Pharisees were greeted with a loud voice and their uh, position uh, was announced and title was announced. Well, did you know that uh, there are people all over this country today, and I would even go as far to say all over our fair city today, who go to church for no other reason than to be seen and to see. Jesus warned against that. He warned against serving just to be seen by other people. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, he said this, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and out on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now again, don't, don't miss Jesus' point. He's not saying that you know, acts of kindness are bad. He's not saying that serving is bad. In fact, uh, next Sunday here at Coastal, uh, we have Shadow Day. You like that? It's pretty cool. It's Shadow Day. Uh, you know, I hope you get that. The next day, solar eclipse. So Shadow Day. Uh, but what we're doing, actually, is uh, for those of you who aren't currently serving, or maybe some of you who want maybe a behind-the-scenes look at another area of ministry, uh, we're encouraging you uh, to sign up uh, to shadow somebody, just to sh you know, kind of take a behind-the-scenes look at what happens in first impressions, and come to our VIP meeting early in the morning, and and uh, maybe uh, check out, uh, walk around with one of the security guys, or go over to children's ministry. And uh, so, if you sign up for that, uh, one of the leaders uh, from those ministries will contact you and uh, get you scheduled. Hopefully, we'll have you to be able to shadow uh, next Sunday. But if you can't do it next Sunday, because we can only have so many people shadowing uh, in a particular area. Uh, we'll schedule you, uh, we'll sign you up to do that at some other point. And our leaders will, will contact you about that. But, so that's great. I mean, in fact, we make no apologies here at Coastal for challenging people to serve because Jesus said you find your life by giving your life away to others. But if you're serving, if you're doing acts of kindness, if you're even giving to the poor just so that people will notice you, and think that you're such a great person. You got the wrong motive. And Jesus says you're actually getting the only reward you're ever going to get right here and now. You might be religious, but you don't know Jesus. Again, it's a matter of the heart. And that's why it's so easy to become a Pharisee. 
Number four, you might be an accidental Pharisee if rigid rules are more important to you than love. If rigid rules have become more important than love. Verse 46, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. You know, these, these legal experts, they had, um, their job was to interpret the Old Testament and to officially rule on what uh, you could or could not do. And, and over the years, they'd actually added a thousand plus laws to the written Old Testament. And if you were a good Jew, you were expected to obey all of them. And again, these Pharisees were, you know, were experts in not only making the rules, but, but keeping them. You see, religion reduces our relationship with God, reduces our faith, this love relationship, to a long list of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. God had something to say about that in Isaiah 29, 13. He said, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But again, what's that word there? Heart. Their hearts are far from me. Their worship has become made, uh, it's all about made up rules taught by men. That's a great definition of legalism there. You know, reducing the Christian life down to this list of, of rules, of man-made rules, do's and don'ts. It's, a, it's our attempt to legislate holiness and usurp the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. You see, there are churches and there are Christians today who've got rules for everything. I mean, about what you can wear, about how you keep your hair, Rules about drinking, tattoos, body piercings, um, playing cards, remember that? Dancing, going to, mu uh, to movies, listening to, to different music, wearing a costume on Halloween, you know, teaching your kids about Santa. And, and, and they burden people down with this long list of rules that aren't found anywhere in the Bible. It's their interpretation of the Bible. And what Jesus is saying is there's something more important than those rules. And that's love. It's love. Don't you remember Jesus, in fact, said that all the rules, all the law of the Old Testament can be boiled down to two things. You love God with everything you've got, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love neighbor, your neighbor. Listen, that's why what we're seeing today in our country is so reprehensible. That's why what's happening in Virginia is so, is so reprehensible. Because it doesn't represent, you know, God. You know, it's about loving him and about loving people, all people. Number five, you might be an accidental Pharisee if reliving the past 
has become more important than recognizing God's present activity. If reliving the past is more important than God's present activity. Look at verses, look, verse 47. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and yet it was your forefathers who killed them. You see, this generation that was alive when Jesus was speaking here, they were a living, breathing contradiction. Their forefathers had rejected and even murdered many of the Old Testament prophets, and now here they are commemorating their memory. In fact, Jesus' generation killed the greatest prophet, John, and then refused to recognize the Messiah, Jesus, because they wanted to keep living in the past. And that's a part of religion. You know, just, just always looking back to the good old days. You, you've heard of honeybees and, and maybe killer bees, uh, but in the church today, there's a, another dangerous species of bees called the used-to-bees. The used-to-bees. I, I meet people all the time who, you know, they'll say something like, you know, oh, I used to be uh, involved in the church, or I, uh, you know, I used to be in children's ministry, or, you know, those were the good old days. I, I used to be a small group leader. I used to be active, you know, for the Lord. Dead religion is always looking in a rearview mirror and longing for the good old days. And most of the time, when you actually look back at the good old days, they weren't that good. You know, and, and in every church, there, there are people who don't like change, even in our church. You know, even here at Coastal, there are some people who want us to do church exactly like we did it, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. Listen, I, I think we should honor the past. I think we ought to appreciate, you know, our history. We ought to learn from it. But we should never let the past keep us from doing what God, you know, keep us from seeing what God is doing right now, right here, and being a part of that. Somebody once said that the seven last words of any church are, we've never done it that way before. You know, traditions are wonderful, except when they become sacred and they get in the way of growing and reaching people and being the church that God has called us to be and reaching out with help and hope to a hurting and dying people. Jesus had one last final thing to say to this group, verse 52. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. What's he talking about? What's the key to knowledge? It's Jesus. He's talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How's your friendship with Jesus? Not your knowledge about him. Not your activity for him. I'm asking, how's your relationship with him? That's the key. You know, that's what Jesus was focusing on in Revelation chapter 2 when he was addressing one of the seven churches. This is the church at Ephesus. And he said this, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. 
I know that you don't tolerate wicked men and, and you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You've persevered and you've endured hardships for my name and, and you've not grown weary. Now stop right there. What's he saying? He's saying, man, this is, a, this is an exceptional church. Man, they were doctrinally solid. They were dealing with sin. They were faithfully working hard. I mean, you know, it looked like this was an exceptional church. Except they had one potentially fatal flaw. Verse 4, Jesus said, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. I mean, you could almost sense a tone of sadness in, in the voice of Jesus as he says, Okay, listen, yeah, all your service is great, but there's something missing. Where is that simple devotion that you and I had in the very beginning? Again, outwardly, you look great. But I'm talking about your heart. Do you know the, the, the difference between religion and relationship? One word, intimacy. Intimacy. He's saying, You've drifted away from the intimacy that we once shared, the intimacy of, of your, your first love with me. You know, you see the same thing in marriage all the time, by the way. I mean, you watch a newly married couple spending time together, and man, they're hugging each other, and you know, looking at each other with that little twinkle in their eye, and, and uh, they're doing all those little things for each other, and spending time together, talking all the time. But then, many times, you know, a few years go by, and what happens? That intimacy gets lost a little bit. But listen, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, sure, during the engagement period and, and early on in marriage, you know, it's not just that things are new. You actually made time to be together. But then what happens is that after you get married, the routine of life begins to settle in and, you know, you no longer make that time to, to date your spouse. And some of those little things you used to do for each other begin to, begin to fade because now there are responsibilities. And you got to work, and you buy a house, and a car, and kids come along. And pretty soon you get caught up in that routine, and you just take each other for granted. And sometimes the tenderness and the romance suffers, or worse yet, drifts away completely. And pretty soon all you got is a house. Oh, sure, people come and go, they occupy it, but nobody talks, there's no affection, and kids grow up without seeing that intimacy and that joy. And it ends up just being a house, a building that's occupied. That sounds eerily like some churches, doesn't it? And sooner or later, the marriage dissolves and it's a house that just goes back on the market where it's sold and the money divided up. The same thing can happen spiritually. Remember when you first got saved? That first love. 
and you were excited about Jesus and everything was new and you were pumped up and you talked about your faith and you couldn't get enough of worship and prayer and the word of God. And sure, it was all new like a romance. And then it's so easy to slip into the routine of religion. And without even realizing it, you drift away from that romance with Christ that really put that fuel in your tank in the beginning. And it's almost as though he's here today waiting on you to fall at his feet once again. He's waiting on you to come home. You see what he's saying? Listen, I appreciate all your hard work. I appreciate your perseverance. I appreciate that you're enduring, that you're discerning, and that you've even been able to hold up under pressure for me. But what saddens me is that in the middle of all of it, in the middle of all that activity, you have forgotten that I care more about the servant than I'd care about the service. You've forgotten that I'd rather have a home than a house. You've become about the programming without passion. You've drifted into a ritual without relationship. You've accidentally become a Pharisee. And I want you to come home. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, Pastor Chris, I want to come home. What do I need to do? Thankfully, Jesus tells us right here in Revelation 2, 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. Coming back home, coming back to that first love involves three things. Look what he says. First of all, remember Remember, never forget that passion. Never forget what that was like. He says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Spend some time thinking about what it was like, you know, when you had that first love with Christ. Spend some time thinking about what God says about you and, and uh, what he says, you know, to you and who you are and whose you are. Remember, think about it. And then he says, repent. That word simply means to turn around. Listen, Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. We have. But we need to turn around and turn away from whatever it is that's caused us to drift. And then here's the good news. Here's the good news about repentance. You know, regardless of how many steps you think you might have drifted away from Jesus, you only have to take one step back. You only have to turn around and take one step toward him. And the Bible says that he will come running toward you. He will make up the difference. He will welcome you with open arms. He is ready and wanting for you to come back home. And then that opens the door for the third step. Return. He says, repent and do the things that you did at first. We need to return to the things 
that we did at first. In other words, return to the word. You know, return to prayer. Return to fellowship with God's people. That's how you come home. By the way, that's also how you rebuild your relationship with your spouse. Remember. Remember who they are. Remember the commitment that you made. Remember those things and the way it was back then. Think about, you know, that commitment. And then repent. You know? Be man enough. Be woman enough to take that step toward each other and turn away from those things that have caused you to drift. And then begin to do those things that you did at first. One last verse. This is God's plea for all of us. Revelation 3.20, this is Jesus speaking. He says this, here I am. Let Let me stop right there for a second. Listen, Jesus is here today. You're not here by accident. The Bible says that if we will lift up Jesus, he will draw all people to himself. You're not here by accident today. He is here, and he's been waiting for you. He says, I am here. Here I am. And then listen to this. I stand at the door and knock. You know, those, those feelings, those, those emotions, those, those thoughts that you've been having during the service today as we sing those songs, as those people have been greeting you as I've been reading the word of God. Listen, that's Jesus. He is standing and knocking at the door of your heart. And then listen to this. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door. That's your responsibility right there. That's it. Recognize his voice. Open the door. And then listen to this. Jesus says, I'll come in. I'll eat with you and you with me. What's he talking about there? He's talking about a relationship. Again, not religion. Come home. Come home today. You know, the reality is no matter who you are and where you've been, if you're a believer, we all have a tendency from time to time to fall back on religion. And like it or not, we can become a Pharisee. Come home. Get back to that that passion, that love relationship with Jesus. That understanding that that's why we're here, to reach out to other people, to let them have the same opportunity that we do but maybe you're here today and you've never come home. You've never had that relationship with God. In fact, maybe you've confused it with religion. Listen, Jesus is here today. He is knocking at the door of your heart. Listen to his voice, open the door, and let him in. He will forgive you of all of your sin. He will make you as white, as wool, as clean, as freshly fallen snow. You you can have not only a clear conscience, not only will he give you purpose and power for living today, but he will give you a home in heaven forever. You can have that today. Bow your heads, pray that prayer, receive Christ today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for, I thank you for this book uh, by Larry Osborne, but more importantly, God, I thank you for the words of Jesus. Um, we still have the same problem today. It's so easy um, to drift away from a real, passionate relationship with your son, Jesus. 
and to uh, just become religious. That's especially easy here in the deep south, in the holy city, in the Bible belt. Father, uh, I pray we would come home. I pray we would remember the height from which we've fallen. We would repent and do the things we did at first. And Father, I believe that there are people here today who are ready to come home, ready to enter into a personal relationship with you, ready to have their sins forgiven, ready to be made right, not by anything that they could do on the outside, but they could be made right by their faith in what Jesus has already done for them. Listen, Jesus went to the cross. He died on a cross for you and for me, for your sin. He's simply waiting for you to open the door of your heart and receive him by faith. Not only did he die on a cross, but he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death. And there's nothing, nothing that you could do that could earn favor with God or improve your standing with God. It's only by your faith in Christ and what he did for you. And then he gives you the power and the desire to want to be pleasing to him, to become day by day more and more like he will see you now, clean, perfect, forgiven. Come home. Pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me. I am a sinner. I have blown it. I have either tried to be religious and gotten frustrated or I've just quite frankly just rebelled and pushed you out of my life. God, today I take that step toward you. I believe, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he went to the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead and he's alive. And for the rest of my days, God, I just want to follow him. I want to become more and more like you see me. And Father, I want to pray for us as a church that we will be the church you've called us to be. God, we're a a collective bunch of fellow strugglers, but we're all becoming more and more like you see us. Give us uh, power and perseverance, but also, God, I pray that we would show grace and love to the world around us and reach out to people and show them the true hope of this world and the help that is available. We love you, Father. We pray all these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.